Hey guys, welcome back to Whitby Island. I'm here today to deliver on that promise that I made to podcast some good conversations that I have while I'm up here. So this afternoon I sat down with Michael McCarthy. He's one of my fellow poets. He lives in Virginia and teaches at a college out in that direction. I asked him a little bit about life, about writing, and about what drew him to literature. Take a listen. Uh, Mike, as best as you can remember, can you talk about a time or a moment or a book or an experience in which you read something that changed or shaped your life? Yeah, I think there was um, a poem I had to read. I was, I think, a sophomore in high school, and the poem was uh, Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot. And there was, uh, I went to a, a, a Catholic boys' school, and we were supposed to do, it was a Christmas service, and um, it was a monk, a teacher, who um, asked me to read it. And, and I had never really read anything like that before. It was, it was so evocative. It had such um, language, such vivid imagery. It was, it sort of brought, you know, we have the, the crutch, the little, um, uh, the manger scene. Um, that we put around Christmas trees. And here was somebody writing about it and, and bringing it to life with sort of breathing camels. He talked about sore-footed camels, lines and words that I still remember. And um, the ability in so few lines to, to make something so real that I'd heard about over and over and over in church and, and seen was um, something that stuck with me. And, and I think that, that that poem, going back you know, to probably 12th grade or something, um, stuck with me for many, many years, and I finally kind of came around to it as an adult as something I wanted to pursue, really literally because of one, you know, probably 40-line poem. Hmm. So I'm betting the answer to that previous question will go into this. Why do you write and why do you read? Why do you think that those are important activities to dedicate part of your day, too. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, I, I love it. And I have to say, I, I wasn't a giant reader when I was in um, high school. I don't, know whether, I don't know whether reading came a little difficult to me, whether there was like a mini uh, dyslexia or something. It was hard. My reading comprehension wasn't great, so I didn't find it that enjoyable. Um, it was only a little bit later, sort of in college, that I, I began to really appreciate it and, um, and love it. I think that I get intrigued and have gotten intrigued with uh, the way people express things, um, the ability to transport you someplace else. It, it's kind of like a magic carpet. They yeah. they put you on it and off you go, and you're you're there, and and you're theirs. And um, I, I I I thought that that's a, a wonderful power and a wonderful um, skill. And so I think I began to appreciate as a reader. And then I started trying it, and I found out that, that you know I had some facility for that same power, and it becomes intoxicating at that point. You simply want to keep going yeah. into that further uh -huh. and further. Absolutely. I totally know what you mean. Um, okay, why don't you just talk maybe a little bit about what are you currently writing about? What are some things that, that fire your imagination? You know, it's funny. I, I, I've been wondering what themes I'm writing about because in poetry you sort of write and, and later discover what you're up to. Mm -hmm. I think a, a theme that seems to be surfacing a lot right now for me is, is maps and topography, um, mm -hmm. yeah. geography, space, land, <clears throat> even, even, you know, even uh, I've, I've been 
reaching out to the stars. <laughs> I have a, a poem on um, Kepler and uh, you know an incident he had with a telescope. I have uh, another poem that's uh, looking at Pluto and poor Pluto, how it got demoted from being a planet recently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, for some reason, heavenly bodies and the Earth and geography, um, continents, rivers, all that kind of thing that that way we we think about space in front of us is 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 captivating me. I have a poem right now that I'm um, working on that's looking at how a map maker physically walks around, slogs through mud, um, you know, snakes crawl around their boots. This is, you know, in, in the old days when mm -hmm. they do hand-drawn maps. Right. And how they, they and, and I think the opening line is something like, uh, he rings an ocean onto paper. Yeah. And the idea is that, that, there, that <clears throat> there's a physical world that you're out there, okay? Physical world that you're out there, um, seeing and experiencing, and you collapse that mm -hmm. into a two-dimensional world that then you hand on to someone else. So a parallel to that is yeah. writing itself. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly right. So, so uh, and, and the other parallel that I touch on in the poem is, is a musical score, which is nothing more than, as I say in the poem, uh, dots and eyelashes bent on the page. Yeah. But, but to someone who's a musician, they, they look at that, and that translates sound to them. It puts music in their ears. And so that's, that's a, that relationship of, of experiencing the world and its spaces and then putting them into blackened marks on paper that then translate to someone else is, some, is a big area that, that I'm working on right now. And, I mean, just to summarize, it traces all the way back to exactly what you said at the beginning, that sense of wonder that you got at T.S. Eliot being able to take that manger scene, that mythic scene, something that was so huge and impossible, and he put it on a page in words. Right. And that's exactly what a map maker does. That's exactly what a music scorer would do, that they write down these little jots on the line, right. and yet they mean something to you. They come alive within you. Right. It's almost a telepathy that happens on paper. Yeah. And so that's... Uh, I, I, that that is a an entire area that I'm sure I'm going to keep writing about and writing about because I keep coming up with, come, coming up with different ways to look into that, and I, I'm kind of finding it endlessly fascinating at least right now. Mm. Well, great, Mike. Thanks a lot. You bet. Okay, so that was my interview with Michael McCarthy, and do tune in again tomorrow and on Wednesday. I'm gonna hopefully have a whole lot more for you. Before I go though. I wanted to talk about my conversation that I had with Scott Russell Sanders. I didn't get it on tape because, honestly, I was kind of intimidated by this guy. If you haven't looked him up yet, he's a really famous guy. This guy's work could show up on the AP test, even. Anyway, I talked to him after he was done, and here are just a couple of the things that he told me just in our conversation about life and especially about teaching. He talked first about the Quaker tradition of what's called openings. He said, Openings are those ordinary moments in which you're led to a heightened awareness of the significance of your life. And so I guess if I could just ask you, think for just a second, what are some openings for you? What are some moments in your life where the curtain got pulled back and you were just kind of in awe of what life is like? Again, that's what his book, A Personal History of Awe, is all about. It was really, really great. He also talked about how in our day with technology and efficiency, how there's been what he calls the tragic diminishment of our potential existence. 
In other words, we were born to be so great, but I think we spend a lot of our time creating habits and ways of living that ensure that we never make it to be that great. It's a tragic diminishment of our potential existence. He said that in the use of technology, really, he sees only three things. Number one, benefit, that you use the technology wisely and that it makes you a better, stronger, smarter, more efficient, more intelligent, more social human being. Or you use it to trivialize your life so that everything fades to the background. You don't deal with the important things in life. Rather, you distract yourself. Or third, that it becomes a destructive force. So that not only are you ignoring the real problems in your life, the things that you need to deal with, but in fact, you end up destroying yourself, hurting yourself, making yourself deliberately a worse and less beneficial person to society. I think it's some really dangerous ideas from a guy who definitely knows what he's talking about. Again, his name is Scott Russell Sanders, an incredible writer and a really great guy. It was such an amazing opportunity to be able to meet him, and I look forward to sharing more with you later. I'll talk to you at some point tomorrow, but I hope you're having a great time. See you when I get back. My whole Saturday and Sunday too I was thinking about ways not to lose